Well, hey, it's an honor and a privilege for me to introduce our speaker this morning. And he's not a guest speaker because this is his home church and we've all enjoyed and been blessed by his messages before. So would you stand and welcome with me Roger Helland as he comes up here. This great guy, this phenomenal leader. Yes. Woo. Hey man, see you. Good to see you. I wanna chit chat with you a little bit okay. uh, with, the, with the congregation. Sometimes our people don't know who's in our midst. And uh, we just have to tell that story a little bit so that you understand the kind of people that God is having land here. And uh, this is one of those amazing people, Roger and his wife, Gail, part of our church family. Uh, they have a daughter and son-in-law here with grandkids. Kelowna-based people, um, and we will we'll allow that. There they are right there, yeah. So good to have your family here. And we've known each other for a long time. First time I met you, you came to an evening service here when Nick Kadoon was on staff. We launched this thing called Next Campus, and you walked up to me and you said, I sense God here. Something's going on here. Uh, Roger's been a district leader overseeing scads of churches. Uh, he's been a pastor in many tribes and settings, I've lost track of how many groups you have cross-pollinated with. Um, and uh, you, you are known across Canada uh, as a man who is spearheading prayer for renewal and prayer for revival. And that's just reality. Um, so I, I want you to realize that when we're here on Sundays, sometimes Roger's away in Toronto or in Vancouver, and he is leading actual prayer rallies. Can you tell us what's been going on the last couple of years and even before that, during COVID, what was God laying on your heart with prayer? The main thing, <laughs> I guess, prayer for me has been sort of a passion that just increases, that won't just go away. And when I was serving as a district leader here, and I'm teaching different schools and that, I found that prayer was sort of at a low ebb in a lot of settings, right? And it's really tough to get prayer going and working in the lives of leaders, and it was growing in my own life, and I was working with pastors and different leaders and uh, seeing great traction taking place. So then that was working, but then COVID comes along, and we're all sort of living life from Zoom and YouTube, right? <laughs> Running our businesses, our homes, our churches, and our personal lives confined to sort of Zoom, and, and so it's kind of like, okay, what next? And so I was beginning to lead uh, a number of different Zoom prayer gatherings and such, and really hunkering down into seeking the Lord. And uh, <clears throat> that led into some initiatives that uh, the World Evangelical Alliance, which is about 600 million strong across the country, sort of did a day of prayer on a Saturday in the spring of 2020. <clears throat> and I looked at that, it was a sheet of paper that had a structure and a strategy, praying different passages and that for global revival and such. But I thought, why don't we do something live? So I, I got a hold of a friend of mine at Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, which is an umbrella organization based in Ottawa and Scarborough. We work with denominations, schools, ministry organizations, and churches. And I said, why don't, why, don't, why don't you guys do something live? Let's invite people from across the country. We'll go on Zoom and we'll do prayer through the month of May and coming up to Pentecost Sunday. And they go, you know, we've been really feeling the prayer needs to be more centered what EFC is doing and, and such. And, and why don't you lead it? I'm going, uh, okay. Such a time as this, right? <laughs> yeah, so, so I led it, our Zoom, four weeks in May, and the Spirit of the Lord was present in those Zoom meetings. It was amazing, actually. And I could go on and talk more and more about that. But having said that, a couple of weeks later, they invited me to 
take up a role as the prayer ambassador for the EFC. So that's been my role for the last three years, moving from district work. So we've been traversing the country, uh, inviting different groups and denominations, churches to participate in prayer. And there's a lot going on out there. There is a lot going on, and you and I both know this. We've never seen this before yeah. like this. This is a whole nother level. So when we pray for revival in our country, we're not the only people yeah. who are crying out to God for that. Right. It's been stirring, sweeping for three years plus. Yeah. So many great movements are, are just being spearheaded through yourself and others. Uh, what, are you, what are you hearing from people that are jumping in? Well, there's a couple of themes. One is the presence of God is a prevailing theme, and that's kind of the theme for this morning, obviously, in the book, which dovetails into the why of, of writing that. But secondly, spiritual awakening and revival is a prominent prayer focus. I mean, it's been that way in different traditions for quite a while, and people pray for revival, but it's really deeper than that. It, it's across denominations. It's in rural areas. It's in major centers across the country. Just a couple examples in Ottawa. I know Phil Nordine is back here, great apostolic friend, Phil, back there. You were in Ottawa at the prayer breakfast. There were 750 leaders from all across the country. A number of them are here from Alberta, but other places. But Shayla Visser is the president of Alpha Canada. She was the guest speaker, the keynote speaker, the prime minister, all the dignitaries in the government were there leading the message and then having a time of prayer where she's inviting the Holy Spirit to actually be present, having quiet and waiting upon the Holy Spirit to come. It's like, okay, uh, when have you heard that happening in, in the halls of So let me get this straight. Church Government leaders in Ottawa yeah. praying for the Holy Spirit to come upon right? them. Right, Phil? Wow. Yeah. Can we celebrate that? Right? That's amazing. So, it's amazing. And some of the MPs that are dedicated Christian believers, they're like salt and light. They are sprinkled in. They're trying to make cultural impact. I mean, we've had uh, prayer gatherings at an EFC and Billy Graham and National House of Prayer and Vineyard Canada that we just completed, you know, uh, major cities like Ottawa and here in Calgary, Kelowna and Regina, and now we're being invited to Vancouver and to Winnipeg potentially. And there's just like a groundswell. I like what John Arnott said. I was with John Arnott just a couple months ago. John Arnott, Toronto Blessing, Toronto Airport Vineyard, Catch the Fire. I mean, those of you that get that back in the 90s, it went on for 12 years, by the way, 12 years in Toronto, the blessing of the spirit. He's still padding around the, the world. He's 83, spreading fire. He's showing us videos, live videos of conferences he was in with thousands of people in stadiums where the waves of the spirit would just come on them and the whole stadium is just like impacted by the presence of God and prayer is at the core of it. There's prayer popping up everywhere in small towns, villages, uh, regional centers across this country. It, it's, it's just ready to explode. Yeah, it's, it's really happening. God it's is happening. stirring it up. You have had such a heart for this. It goes all the way back to Kelowna days in the 80s. You right. were there when the full-on revival hit the Kelowna church right. you were part of. Right. From there, it jumps over to Toronto to the airport vineyard and then kind of just blasts itself all over the world. Here we are. I sense there's another wave coming, another wave of God's presence, yeah. a wave of God's glory. And you have a heart for this like very few people that I've met. Uh, you've got a book that uh, is, is now out. I want to highlight that. I, I, this, I've read this book. This is awesome. It's called Pursuing God's Presence. This is Roger's seventh book. And I want to say this because I'm his friend. It's his magnum opus. It, it's, it's got in here the message of a life centered on renewal, revival, and awakening. Um, and I want to just encourage you to, to be 
uh, hungry for a book like this, you can actually pick up a copy. You can buy a copy at the book table outside in the foyer. Only $20 today. Like, come on. That's a deal. Um, and Roger, you poured your heart into this book. And when I was reading it, I saw that, you know, you and I have similar conversion stories. So we'll just tease the congregation yeah, with that. Yeah, from pagan to pastor. Yeah, basically. pagan to pastor. <laughs> so uh, we have a lot in common. We do. Uh, but I want to ask you in front of this house, uh, what made you want to write that book? Yeah, a couple things. Uh, by the way, online audience, thank you for chiming in wherever you are across Canada, across the world. We appreciate you coming and joining us this way. Uh, well, the first thing is, I'm a student, I'm a teacher, so I'm always reading and I'm always collating spiritual information and stuff that I think is impactful. And so over the decades, really, seeking the presence of God has become pretty much the focal point. I mean, there's lots of renewal things you can talk about and I've written about, but when it comes to pursuing God's presence, that is sort of the more common theme that's been with us probably the last five or six years, maybe longer, maybe 10 years. Missional leadership, you know, gospel-centered churches and, you know, different sort of waves of influence have been out there. But this thing about the presence of the Lord is out there. It's in our worship music. It's in conferences and seminars and books across traditions and denominations. That was a motivating factor for me to collate my own study, experience, and journey and see if I can offer something that has a uniqueness to it, which is a second part, which I believe I've been able to achieve that. Read a lot of things, good stuff on the presence of God, historically but contemporary, and tends to be more generic and more about the glory and the presence and, you know, seek it and host his presence. Good stuff. But I thought, well, what would happen if I tried to articulate how to pursue the presence of God in our personal life, in our homes, in our families, in our churches, out in the community, in our workplaces, and uh, what does it look like to seek, ho uh, experience, and host the presence of God? So that's the other motivation behind it, and that's, so that's the product. And you've nailed it. Uh, I've read a lot of books on similar topics. This is an awesome book. Thank you. And I believe this is a book for this season in our nation, and I really encourage you to not miss out on this. It'd be a great summer read for anyone who wants to dive into something about the pursuing God's presence. You, you outline so well seeking the presence of God, experiencing the presence, and then how to host the presence. And you know, sometimes a book written by a theologian pastor uh, is onerous to read. That's not this book. This is readable. This has got stories in it. Dude, you, you really crushed it. There's so many great insights here from church history, from your own life. And then you wove it together really, really well with a beautiful... And some people here. Yeah. There's, there's narratives here that you might recognize. You so. might recognize, yeah. yeah. there's some good stuff, so... So uh, check out the book table later. Uh, you guys have got Squarespace. You can use e-transfer, check cash, all that. Yeah. Can't use the Kingdom City debit machine, but the other ways will work. Yeah. Also, it's available online with audio and Kindle, right? Is that right? Correct. Through uh, Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. Okay. So okay. I, want to, I want us to pray for Roger as he delivers the message today. Would you guys just stretch your hands out to him? He's one of God's choice servants. And Roger, I just remember that it was you who were here in this room at the end of last August when the wave of the Spirit landed here, fully interrupting the worship service. And when the moment was heavy on us and the time was right, you led us in prayer. And so, Lord, we thank you for this man of God that is called to catalyze the body of Christ in our nation to radically go to the throne room and to believe for great and mighty things. We bless him, Lord. We bless his family. 
May he and Gail feel the strength of your presence, Lord. And I pray, God, for you to use his message in this book in these days. Lord, we do believe Canada shall be saved. And we stand on guard even today, even today, in light of recent events uh, and, and shutdowns in Quebec uh, with, with initiatives happening there. Lord, we need your power. We need your presence. We need your glory. We need a Habakkuk 2.14 moment that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So we just declare that, Lord, over our brother, over his wide ministry and his kingdom calling. And we bless, Lord, what's about to happen through his life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. Now what? <laughs> now, what do I, now what do I do? Nathan, do you remember that service? Of course you do. We were right here. And you got up and disrupted the service because the Lord was disrupting you. And I preached the message in the first service. But the second, there was an alteration. And uh, Sandy was out of town. So when the the cat's away, the mice get to play, right? So, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. It was good for those of you that was here. Um, I didn't know what to do. So I'm thinking, man, I can't get up and just preach that message. It doesn't fit. So I felt the Lord say to me, take off your shoes and just get up and pray the passage. So I felt, okay, let's give her. And uh, that's what we did. And then we had a coffee after trying to debrief on how do you capture those moments of kavod when the presence becomes so strong? Sometimes you just kind of go like, uh. By the way, there's a lot of things happening in Saskatchewan. Who's from Saskatchewan here? There are prairie fires happening in Saskatchewan. It's unbelievable. I was in Regina about a month ago. I'm telling you, it was, it was powerful. I mean, these prairie people... Some of them drove for four and six hours to come to this summit, this prayer summit that we held, Ignite. <clears throat> we had about 350 people at the public gathering, and they were just like giving her, and uh, the Spirit of the Lord just landed in a way that was absolutely hard to put into words. There was one Filipino lady, she came up to me, she's crying, and said, I felt the Lord tell me there's you know people here, that you're gonna feel heat in your hands, like, there's sometimes these manifestations that occur. You know, talk about the fire of God's presence and he's a consuming fire. Well, sometimes there's physical indi indicators that, you know, emerge in different gatherings. And after the meeting, this lady comes, she goes, oh, my hands are hot. She says, I have had cold hands my entire life. And she, and she was, but it was a deeper work inside of her that there, there was healing and wholeness that was going on inside of her. But physically, her hands had been cold. Some of you have cold feet and cold hands, whatever. She says, my hands are hot for the first time in my life. And I'm just going like, whoa. The presence of the Lord was transformative. We talk about healing when there's holiness and presence. Things get activated that you just can't get done in any other way. One of our prayer uh, seminar leaders, Jacob George, who's actually the prayer coordinator at Center Street Church, he is just, I'm telling you, he is a spirit man of prayer and impact. He's from India. He is one of our seminar leaders who taught on cultivating cultures of prayer uh, in the Ignite. <clears throat> and uh, after the seminar, he began, he began to pray. 
and we have a, a group full of probably about 220 leaders from all over Saskatchewan. They're all sitting there just, and I'm sitting there, and he starts praying. And he went on for about 10 minutes. And the spirit of the Lord was so strong, you, you could hardly move. You're just feeling like, you know, the kavod, the weight of the glory of God is just like, it's just like heavy. So then the piercing impact of that, it was just indescribable. He told somebody this story, and I just saw him last week at the prayer conference down in Calgary with Daniel Henderson and Jim Cimbala. By the way, Jim Cimbala, unbelievable. It was amazing. <clears throat> what happened to Jacob is that the Spirit of the Lord seized him during his prayer, kind of like Gideon. He was clothed by the Spirit. And he said that there were things coming out of his mouth as he was praying that he didn't know where those words were coming from. And there was an unction, you know, this old word unction, we call it anointing or presence. There was an unction that was so strong. It just went boom, 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 boom. It was like Charles Finney. It was said of Charles Finney, that revivalist, that when he opened his mouth, it was like opening a, a Gatling gun. And when he started to speak, bombardment began just boom, boom. <laughs> just the power of the word of the Lord through prayer and through proclamation is just over the top. So I'd like you to turn to the book of Psalms, 105, verse 4. This is really the zip file for really my whole book on pursuing God's presence, really centered on this passage, which is packed with implications that'll set the tone for the theme this morning on pursuing the holiness of God. Lou Engel, a prayer leader down in the United States, started off with Cheon in Pasadena, moved over to Colorado Springs. He's a stadium kind of level prayer intercessor, rocks in his chair when he does prayer gatherings and such. He just gets into the zone of the spirit. He says this about revival, that revival is God's arrival. Revival is God's arrival. It kind of matches what Leonard Ravenhill, that old sort of revival preacher, said that God is one pent-up revival. And he's just looking for a place and a people to just unleash himself. And I, I'm going to offer today some insights on potentially how that can occur, as if you don't need any more passion. I mean, I'm, I'm up here in the front row. You're just hearing all this unbelievable passion of worship and singing. It's just like over the top. I'm going to invite you to have the same level of passion in worship and pursuing presence that the Bible invites us to have for holiness. Same level. Where's Dwight? Bass player. By the way, I, I love bass players. They often get overlooked. Drummers and bass players are kind of in the back, you know. But you know what? Bass players actually carry. They carry it from underneath, right? So Dwight, bless you, man of humility and holiness and honor and integrity. Matt over here. Who's, is there other bass players in the audience? You know, uh, When I was at New Life, we had women bass players. So you got to get some women bass players up here too. So Anyway, uh, thank you for the bass players and drummers and sound technicians and those that sort of work sort of behind and I love the worship and all that each of you are doing.
Okay, Psalm 105. You can move the slide. There we go. Pay attention to the words. They're, they're carefully crafted by the psalmist. Seek the Lord and his strength in that order. The word seek there means to beat a path to the Lord. It means to try and reach and to inquire. For you business people, when you make business decisions and you have budgets and you have staff and HR and all manner of sort of complexity in these days of inflation and insurmountable challenges, inquire of the Lord. You parents have a tough time with the kids. Those of you that have tough times with health or disappointment or pain or frustration, whatever it is, orient yourself to this text. Seek, seek, be the path to the Lord and his strength, his might, his power. He gives supernatural capacity to face the challenges of a world that just is in turmoil. I mean, every time you turn on the news, there's another issue. There's another problem. There's another challenge. It, it just seems like it's never-ending. It gets tiring, doesn't it? It's hard. Seek the Lord in his strength. And then in the next, the next part of the verse says this, seek his, literally face, pane, seek his face, seek his presence without interruption. How many of you have lost a smartphone, a wallet, a computer, a child in a playground or at a mall? Any? How casual are you when those things happen? Oh, yeah, well, we'll get to it. No. Everything goes on hold, right? Lose your wallet, lose your iPhone, lose your computer, lose your child. Everything now is focused on the search. That's what this text is getting at when it comes to God. We are being invited and commanded to put the search for God, to pursue God as the supreme search in all of life. In our workplace, in our homes, in our churches, in our community, in our personal life. It is a orienting North Star that should govern our daily living and our choices. In Hebrews eleven six, the writer to the Hebrews says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Oh, how do I please God? By faith. That's the first practice for spirituality is to take the risk to trust God for who he is, what he's capable of doing, and leave him to be God. And then it says, for those who come to him must believe, number one, first that he exists. And we can live life as if God doesn't exist, right? We can kind of just go our way, not aware of God. We need the spiritual practice to keep coming and backing around and practice his presence. But it says that, but those who earnestly seek him, he rewards. There's a reward for earnestly seeking God. 
Not like a rewards card from Starbucks or Walmart or WestJet. No, no, no. The reward is God himself, that when we seek God, we find him. Jeremiah says, you will seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. In other words, that the operating system, the affections, the priorities, the, the, the focal point of our lives and energy and decisions and values are to seek the Lord in his strength, to seek his presence, to seek his face personally, relationally, without interruption. Every now and again, I play hide-and-seek with my grandkids. Right? What is it about hide-and-seek? <laughs> it's fun, right? So we take turns. You know how it goes, right? And so they go and hide. You count to 10 or 20, you know. Ready or not, here I come. So you go, you go searching for them, and then you find them, right? And then they turn around, and they count, you know, 10 or 20 or 30, whatever. And ready or not, here I come. And when they find you. So my granddaughters are say to me, uh, found you, Papa. Papa found you, you know. There's this thing about searching. There's, a, there's think, this thing about intentionality that is an adventure. And to seek the Lord's presence is an adventure. Because when we find him, there is great reward. But it requires a commitment from the heart. It's not a secondary discipline. It's not a church on Sunday only. It's a lifestyle of pursuit. But here's where I want to get to. And this is the important shift, okay? We're talking about pursuing the presence of God. And as we pursue revival and we pursue the power of God, and that's often the theme in revival passion, I want you to think of this, that when we pursue the presence of God, we are also invited and commanded to pursue his presence, his holiness, they go together. There's no seeking the presence of God without seeking his holiness because when we come into his presence, guess what? God is holy. He has the entire universe in his purview. And when Isaiah looks into heaven and he sees God on his throne and his train and the the glory of God filling the temple, and they, he sees the angels flying around there crying out, holy, holy, holy is God Almighty. The first reaction that Isaiah has is, oh man, I'm a man undone. I am like destroyed. Ah! I'm a man of unclean lips. So the heart needs to be cleansed because the mouth communicates what's inside, right? And so there's this cauterization of the holiness of God. So the holiness of God is the radiance of his kavod. It's the radiance of his glory. It's his impeccable, glorious, powerful, eternal, magnificent characteristic of who God is. And we'll talk about the nature of holiness. Hebrews 12, 14. Hebrews 12, 14 says this. Notice the language. Pursue. Or in some translations, seek. Two things. It's one verb, but it governs both objects. Simultaneously. It's present tense. It means it's an ongoing 
discipline. It's a daily routine. It's a daily priority. It's a daily vision and focal point. We pursue peace with all people and holiness. Now, this is interesting. What's the relationship between holiness and peace? Where there's holiness, there's peace. When there isn't peace, there's a lack of holiness. Let's play this out a little bit. I'm not saying we can't disagree, we can't have points of even heated discussion and, and, and kind of duke it out with various things that are important, okay? We're not talking about that. We're talking about division, we're talking about tension, we're talking about militant polarization, we're talking about barriers and chasms of relational distance between people, primarily in the house of God. There's not a place for disunity and lack of shalom. Show me a church that's rife with division, I'll show you a church that's not holy. Show me a church that's holy and knows how to navigate disagreements and difficulties in a posture of humility and holiness. Now, now we're talking, right? When you think of the Holy Spirit, and we're all for being full and being led and empowered by the Spirit, think of it this way, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Spirit, the Trinity, they're equal in power, equal in purity, equal in eternal perfection, and yet the Holy Spirit has been delegated by the Godhead to be the one who resides in the church. We are the temple of the Spirit. We are called to be holy priests, holy temple, a sacred habitation of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord there is, there is freedom. When churches and people are bound up, generally by sin, Satan, or sickness, there's a lack of spirit. Therefore, there's a lack of holiness. So, watch the text. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. Holiness is to be set apart for sacred purpose. There's holy days, holidays. There's holy land, a land set apart for God's purposes. There is holy people, holy priesthood. There's the holiness of God, which is full of elegant beauty. Sometimes we have the conception that holiness is rules and regulations and stiff upper lip and starched shirts and furrowed brows and frowns on our faces and sort of this hardcore legalism. No, that's not holiness. That's religion. In, in the name of holiness, it's not holy. So if you go back to the holiness movements, by the way, the Alliance came out of the holiness movement, as a lot of you would probably know, this is the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. So the holiness movement of the 19th century, primarily the United States and the UK, and it had 
influences all across the world. The Salvation Army came out of that. The Nazarene Church came out of that. Church of God, the Christian Missionary Alliance, eventually the Pentecostal and other traditions were all kind of tied into this holiness movement because at the time there was just a lack of it. There was a lot of sinfulness and a lot of corruption. And so there was this resurgence of a call to holiness. And it started off pure where there was consecration. There was calls to put it all on the altar and to, to surrender to the Lord and, and, and great revival and Charles Finney and Phoebe Palmer and there's a whole roster of people back then who really towed the line uh, and were spirit endowed and had enormous impact. And of course, as time moves on, it gets institutional and it gets put into books and documents and policies and don't do this and don't do that and it just loses the fire. That's not what this is talking about. We pursue holiness. We pr pursue peace and holiness without which, it says, we're not going to see the Lord. Purity enhances perception. You want to see God? It's a spiritual sight to see God at work that holiness is required. That when we walk in, his presence, we walk in holiness. Think of holiness not so much as purity. There is purity, but it's proximity. The closer we get to God or the closer he gets to us, holiness moves in like solar winds. We don't kind of just nonchalant pat our way into the holiness of God. Oh, no, no, no. It's like... Uh, okay, you know, there, there's, this, there's this bowing down, there's this sacred reverence that when we come into the presence of a holy God, confession and repentance and openness for his cleansing become the immediate response that people are confronted with. We're called to pursue that. Because the purifying presence of the fire of God begins to create a glistening, radiant personality that when you walk into a room, you and I will become like what is reported of Robert, uh, Robert Murray McShane, Scottish preacher in the early 1800s. It is reported of this Scottish pastor that he was so holy that people literally wept at the sight of him. He'd come up to the pulpit or he'd walk in the church and people just kind of go, they just started crying because his, the radiance of his character was so impeccably beautiful, it captured their emotions. You know what it's like, right? When the presence of God is strong here, there's a few things that usually happen. People start crying. They have this sense of awe and they're, they're captured by the elegance of God. See, holiness is elegant. Look at creation. Look at the James Webb telescope and how it's a million miles out past the sun and it's gazing into the vast reaches of the outer space, way further than Hubble, way clearer than Hubble. And they are taking pictures of galaxies that are so far away and they're so jam-packed with stars and it just blows your mind. And the color... And you look at the deserts and the mountains and the streams and the rivers and the lakes and the mountains and the snow and, you know, the prairie fields and the glistening trees and forests. And you look at the, the galaxy, you know, 
at night and you, you, it's just like you're just stunned by the impeccable beauty. That's God's holiness. It's his kavod. It's the weight of his presence. It, it, it's elegant. It's like a, a bride walking into her wedding day, you know, in gleaming white veil and dress and being greeted by her groomsmen uh, and her groom and, and the bridal party and, and how it captures our heart. It, that's holiness. There's purity. There's power. There, there's, there's elegance. There's attractiveness to it. I spent an entire chapter on this, but I fit it in, you know, what does holiness look like in the home? Home-based holiness. How do you raise holy children? That's hard. How do you deal with all the inputs from the internet and all the social media and all the stuff that are coming into our lives on 24-7? How do you deal with that from a holy perspective? How do you bring holiness into the workplace where, where there's all sorts of fudging when it comes to ethics and, and legality and, and living in a way that has integrity in it? How, how, do, you live, how do you go to high school with all the peer pressure and university and all the doctrine and ideologies around all kinds of sexual issues, it just never ends. It's just like, man, where's holiness in all this? It's found in Jesus. It's found in pursuing the presence of God. Hebrews 12, 14. I love one of the things that stood out to me on May the 15th. For those of you that were here, maybe online, on that congregational gathering that we had here when we were having to discuss some, some hard matters pertaining to the, the, the conference and you know different things happening, churches in Ontario and that. And Brent Trask was here and, and the board and um, Sandy you know, gave, I think, excellent presentations. But at the end, there was a prayer time. Do you remember that? And there was this list of things to pray for, but at the top of the list, and I mentioned this to Sandy this morning, was pray for holiness. I thought, all right. All right, we're going to do that a little later. How many of you recognize the name of John Wesley? Methodist, revivalist in the UK, 1700s, founder of the Methodist movement. John Wesley said this. You can move the slide, thank you. He says, the neglect of prayer is a grand hindrance to holiness. When I was a district leader here in Alberta for 13 years, one of the great passions that I had and continue to have, and that's part of the reason I think I'm invited to go to different places to teach on presence and prayer, because there's a lack of it. There really is. There's a lack of prayer in our churches. There's a lack of prayer in the lives of spiritual leaders who you think would know better. But we've been sold the goods, and I have a lot of respect for preaching and for singing and worship and, you know, program and mission and all the things that go on. But prayer is the hardest thing to get going in a church, and it's the hardest thing to sustain. The fire of prayer is, is, is a tough discipline to get going. But I'll tell you, the key to it is presence. When the presence of God is resident in prayer, it just takes on a whole nother dimension that's compelling. And so if the enemy can keep you and I busy and overcommitted to other things that are good, but not pray, we're going to empty the tank. The fuel and the fire will not be there, I guarantee you. I think Wesley was really onto something that the grand hindrance to holiness is the grand... Um, the neglect of prayer is a grand hindrance. So I'd say the first takeaway... 
for pursuing the presence of God in holiness is to be a person absolutely devoted to prayer. As you're driving down Highway 2 and you're stuck in traffic, you're standing in line at Costco, you're getting up to face your day, you're going to bed at night, you're facing important decisions, you're trying to figure out how do you get your teenagers to quit going AWOL on you? How do you, <laughs> how do you develop enough fruitfulness in your life to, to stick handle you know, the things that go on at work with your boss and your colleagues and the frustrations in, in your environment, you know, whether it's business or it's in hospitality or it's in transportation or it's in the computer world or the legal world or if it's in the teaching world or the medical world or you name it. Every single industry has got so many tensions and conflicts in it, but without prayer, you're just going to grind it out on your own. Prayer is at the key of holiness because you access the resources of God and his internal strength begins to settle inside you because we become attentive to him and we pay attention to what he has to say and he guides us, fills us by his spirit and now we're dependent upon him to really give us strength, give us wisdom, give us insight, give us direction, give us revelation. Boom! And things begin to, you get breakthrough. Holiness. We're almost done. Pursue God's presence continually. Pursue holiness. And here's one theological thing that I think it's important to put into this, this message. Holiness is the goal of salvation, not heaven. Heaven is the ultimate destiny but the goal of salvation is actually holiness. Let me see if I can prove it. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Okay? And I hope this actually blows your mind. Listen to the text. This is how Paul starts his letter to the Ephesian church. It's a theological adoration. It's not a theological discussion around election. I mean, that, we, we get tangled up in that. There's a place for that. But that's not where he's at. He's in a posture of worship and adoration and acclamation of the unbelievable counsel of God in eternity past. And listen to the language. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Bam! He's got it all covered. You're not deficient. Watch the next part. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. Oh, wow. Why should you come to Jesus? Because he wants to make you holy. What's the goal of salvation? It's to make us holy and blameless at his presence. So think of it this way. Before the universe was, God was. Imagine this. At one time in eternity past, there was no universe. It was just the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, hanging out, being God. What were they doing? I don't know, but at some point, they decided, I'm gonna, we're going to create a universe, we're going to create people on it, and here's what we're going to do with those people 
who we know they're going to become lost. We're going to choose them in Jesus Christ, who's going to be the Savior. And here's what we're going to make of them. We're going to make them into holy people. So before Roger Helen was ever created, before the foundation, I was in the mind of God, and you were, before the foundation of the universe. Tilt. And holiness is the destiny for that transaction. When I come to faith in Christ, that's the trajectory that he wanted to take this pagan from Southern California and turn him into a holy person until the end. That's, that's the theological last. How many of you heard of the Asbury University outpouring? If you haven't, it's really worth checking out. You go on YouTube, look at Asbury University outpouring. I'll give you a brief summary and get to the bottom of how it fits in to pursuing holiness. So Asbury University is a Methodist Wesleyan school right there on the top left. Wilmore, Kentucky. <laughs> Population of 6,000. Out of the way rural town. Well, Kentucky has its own history of revival. I mean, the frontier revivals of Cane Ridge Revival and the Red River Valley and other revivals even happened at Asbury, like back in 1970s and 50s. They, they've got sort of a history of the, these bubble-ups of revival. Well, on February the 8th of this year, Zach McCreebs, who's actually an alliance leader, go figure, works with Envision, which is a ministry to empower missional leaders, is the guest speaker at their chapel. They've got chapels, I think they're Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. They're 50 minutes long, regularly scheduled. And he gets up and he preaches a pretty below average message. Those are the things that he says about his message. And I probably would concur. You can watch it on YouTube, February the 8th, Asbury University Chapel at Hughes Auditorium. He preaches on Romans 12, 9 to 21, and kind of captures the theme of a revival of the love of God and for each other. And then he prays for the move of the Spirit, for that to take root into the hearts of the, his audience, which are students and faculty of Asbury University and Seminary. Well, about 19 students stay behind. And they start to pray. And they start confessing their sin. And they take this message seriously. And guess what? The kavod, the weight of the radiant presence of the Lord moved in and they were seized so then they don't leave they, they, you don't leave when the presence of God is so strong you just kind of go well you know let me go to Tim Hortons and get my coffee no 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 so the word gets out texting social media pretty soon within a couple hours that auditorium is filled with 1,500 people, it's packed. The word gets out. Now it's getting on TV and the radio and the word is getting out. And now you got people flying from all over the world to get to Asbury, to go to these revival outpourings that just kept going until early hours of the morning. They'd shut down for a few hours to clean her up and back to the next day. The bottom line 
testimony is that the presence of God was so strong. People were healed. They were delivered of demonic oppression. We had all manner of transformation. You can, you can watch the YouTube testimonies, primarily of Gen Z students who were confessing how they had had you know, lifestyle of anxiety and fear and insecurity. And the Lord just poof, removed some of that. And by the way, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 and 4, I think really fits into this because some of the sexual sin stuff that is rampant in our culture and even in our churches has got to go when it comes to holiness. Paul says this to the Thessalonians. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness. And then he says, abstain from sexual immorality. Don't have any sniffs at immorality. No common law, no pornography, no dancing around with unfaithfulness, no kind of, you know, having it both ways. You can't be a single person and, and be married. You know, once you become married, you can't live a single life, right? There's, a, there's an exchange that happens. And it's from the inside out that we become our affections to God and his purposes and we have to let go of stuff and part of it is the immorality that's rife within our culture and even in our churches. And then he says, may each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Well, this is happening at Asbury. It's happening in, in a variety of different places. Whenever revival comes, all this sort of corruption of heart and soul gets lifted out and people start consecrating their hearts to God through confession and repentance and the transformation occurs. You, you can't preach this stuff into people. You can't sing it. That all helps, but that's not what drew the people is the presence of God. Look at the lineup. People would stand in line for six hours in the freezing cold. It's in Kentucky, it's like minus 10 degrees outside. It's freezing cold. Imagine people standing outside Kingdom City in February where there's 10 inches of new snow and the wind is blowing and it is freezing cold and people are lined up out the neighborhood for six hours to get in here. They did that. You want to pray for revival? That's, this is what's going to happen. Boom! Holiness. Okay, well, they're not going to wait in line. They'll sit on the lawn then. Look at those students. They're, no, hey, we'll just sit around. We'll just get around the glory. If we can't get into the glory, we'll get around the glory. That's how compelling God's presence is. But I want to show you my favorite picture. That's inside the chapel. Here's a student facing the front of Hughes Chapel at Asbury University's auditorium. It holds 1,500 people. And that says it all right there. That's what that outpouring is about. He is holiness. Unto the Lord. We can no longer live as we once did because we're no longer the people we once were. We can no longer live as we once did because we are no longer the people we once were. 
Peter says, and then we're going to pray. Do you want to be like God? God says, you shall be holy, for I'm holy. This is a presence-centered church. Holiness, is it a holiness-centered church? It has to be. Our churches have to be full of the radiant holiness of God. Let's pray. Please stand. I'm going to pray from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, which is really one of the cornerstone passages in Alliance theology where Jesus is Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. And A.B. Simpson and the holiness tradition really got a lot of traction out of this passage. I think today is as relevant now as it was back then. Let me pray for us. Now may the God of peace, oh, there's peace again. May the God of peace himself, firsthand, sanctify, make holy. You completely you feel like placing your hand on your heart to personalize this passage and to say, yes, Jesus, yes, Father, yes, Spirit, do a work in our lives, in our churches, in our communities, a revival of holiness. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. For those of you online, thank you for joining in this prayer. May your whole spirit and soul and body. Soul, spirit, and body. What we do with our bodies matters for holiness. To be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. And he will surely do it. Amen.